something very, very dangerous. If you spotty sense, you know, I was like, oh, something's off. And I'm just like, man, I'm waiting to hear something, you know. Get the crowd warmed up. It's Mr. Jehovah Tiger. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the fourth episode. Yeah, it's fourth episode. I'm just looking on here right now. Of the Warcry Podcast, I'm your host, Yehola Tiger, a.k.a. the one-man band. You know, just just hanging out and, you know, living life, I suppose. But, um, you know, I just wanted to say uh, that I truly appreciate that everyone that has, you know, reached... Like I said, like I said the uh, last episode, I'm, like, not going to repeat myself, but... Just a little update on the podcast, basically, is, you know, I just appreciate everybody who reached out and, you know, had opinions and, and thoughts on kind of how I'm doing this thing, and, but uh, with that said, we are at, dare I say, a little over 300 uh, listens on all platforms. Um, I cannot say enough how much I appreciate you guys tuning in, you know, I'm just a dude that just talks, you know, and that's kind of wild to me. You know, that you guys care about what, you know, what I'm talking about, you know, and want to hear what I have to say. And to me, that's very, very um, crazy to me and kind of wild that, that you guys, you know, will tune in and listen. But, you know, this, this episode is going to, we're going we're gonna to go kind of deep a little bit. Um, we're going to be talking about Operation Paperclip. Um, if you guys are not familiar with Operation Paperclip, basically, um, I guess a little... Pre, like pre, what do they call that at the beginning of a book? Uh, not preface. No. Anyways, whatever. I have read. A, I have not read a actual book text, like a actual like a hard, you know, hard paperback book or even a hardcover book in like twenty five thousand years. So, don't judge me for that. But basically, we're going to be talking about Operation Paperclip and. Uh, we're going to be referencing ref, uh, referencing a book from Annie Jacobson. She wrote a book over. There. She's a you know kind of a uh, I would dare I say I wouldn't say conspiracy theorist, but she sticks to the hardline facts and she kind of has people in you know the know that know these things that help her out you know with different um, with different uh, what you would say projects and books that she writes. But uh, in the meantime, before we do, you know, I just wanted to. I wanted to give a special shout out, not really even a shout out, but I wanted to lay, I want to lay to rest, I want to gently lay them on the bed, to lay them down, is the Oklahoma, the 2020 to 2022, 2023, Oklahoma Sooners. I want to lay them down, lay them to rest, because they deserve all the rest that they need. For next season, six and six, man, I'm still sick about it. Some people have been ragging me about it. You know, that's kind of foul for them to do that to me. But you know, that's you know how much I love them Sooners. But you know, we're just we're gonna keep it. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna be all right. You know, I'm I'm real sad about that and the fact that the uh, you know old Brent, Brent Venables couldn't couldn't hold hold us down for even one season. Couldn't even bring the defense back, you know. That's just it's cold blooded like that. That's I guess it's I guess it's how it's got to be sometimes. But you know, as long as it's, as long as OU isn't as bad as them them Cowboys, 
a little bit away from them. You know, the Oklahoma State Cowboys. You know, thank God that we're not as bad as them. We beat them down. We call that a massacre. It's It was over before it started. And, you know, I just wanted to make sure that we held them down because I know their season got laid to rest the, the night that the Sooners beat them. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to make sure y'all was good, you know, hold, hold y'all down a little bit. But, but uh, rest in peace to the, to, that, to the Sooners, you know, we... We love and appreciate you still, even though you kind of did us kind of crazy, but it's all right. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about Operation Paperclip. If you have never heard of Operation Paperclip, I'm gl- you, you should turn the volume up. Uh, dang, I was getting treated like Chris Hill uh, on the last episode. They said, dang, we can't hear you. It's like, man, what, what do I got to do? So I'm going to turn that volume up extra loud on this episode so y'all be able to hear me. But, uh, dang, <laughs> I had to do Chris like that. I know hey, we always on the Unsolved Mysteries of the Reservation podcast. Dang, we get people all the time saying, man, why he talks so soft? he got a soft voice. He's a man of the people. Anyways, <laughs> so Operation Paperclip. So I had been thinking about this for quite a while. There was a show that came out on Amazon Prime. Mm, I'd say probably two years ago now, dang, maybe during covid uh, 2020, uh, but it was called Hunters, and it had Al Pacino in it, and it had some other people in it, and I always thought it was kind of interesting that that premise because they mentioned Operation Paperclip a lot in that in that, but they didn't call it that because it's a fictional show. But they they basically kind of touch around the corners of the conspiracy, the controversy of that program. So what Operation Paperclip was is is basically it was a very top secret program that brought over over, over sixteen hundred Nazis to America. They whitewashed their history to make to make it seem like they didn't do nothing bad over there during the times of World War One and Two, and they wasn't putting people in concentration camps. Uh, they wasn't putting people through gas chambers. They wasn't putting them through, dare I say, uh, like starving. I don't say famine, but starved them out. So basically, that's kind of what that move, that show is about. If you, it's it might still be on Amazon Prime. It was an Amazon Prime original. But so it gets into you know the origins of this program in in 1943. And this program, this is basically is a mission called uh, Al, and I'm probably gonna mispronounce this. But this program called a it's ALOS mission. It was basically a mission, and what it did is it sent American scientists over into Nazi Europe. So that doesn't mean just Germany. I mean you know different countries that you know kind of aligned themselves with Germany. You know as the the war raged on, and basically the scientists were with Allied troops, and they you know their mission was to find out information about biological, chemical, and nuclear programs at the the Nazis that they were perform- that they were trying to create and perform, and they were going to bring that that information back to the U.S. Well, the Allos officials, you know, the the scientists, they ended up, you know, kind of finding out that like Italians and later the French were involved in this too, that, that they were working for the Nazis to help them out, to help them ensure that they had victory, and. One thing, too, that the Italians and the French said, that they were like, no, they weren't doing that. They weren't, you know, creating nothing, you know, nothing advanced. Um, they had no progress. You know, they could not, uh, you know, they, they said that the Nazis could not 
advance basically to a, a certain ex, you know extent how things you know kind of happened you know as people be lying you know like oh dang they was lying but in 1944 you know they were kind of you know looking in this french town of strasbourg and the fighting's going on and they're like really trying to you know find stuff and, and nazis are trying to hold you know their, their their ground in these different towns and it was in france it was, uh it was called strasbourg and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong too, but <laughs> who am I? To, who am I? You know, some Indian dude in Oklahoma trying to pronounce these words. But uh, it's uh, basically the scientist. His uh, his name was Samuel Gordsmith. Um, he was Dutch um, born scientist, but he was working for the Americans uh, for for the U.S. He made his way to a to a Nazi senior scientist home, and his name was Eugene Hagman. Basically, this this scientist helped you know with this biological weapons program that scientist had fled out like a couple of hours before you know, it was really supposed to happen like they were supposed to, like they were going to take this town over and inside his apartment there were some papers with the american soldiers making like holding you know holding the fort after they defeated the nazis in this town they started you know they start going through some of the the papers and and what they found and it's kind of wild this dr hagman was all the time needing subjects for testing. Of the hundred people, like, so basically he wrote in this diary of sorts, like kind of a reading, that he needed, that, that they sent him a hundred patients, or quote-unquote prisoners. And he called, them, he called them patients, but they were prisoners. And he said 18 died on the way there, and only 12 are in condition. So they were sending them from those concentration camps. That were suitable, you know, 12 that only made it, that were suitable for his experiments. And therefore, you need to send me another hundred. Uh, between the ages of 20, uh, between 20 and 40, who are healthy and in physical condition comparable to the soldiers. And I ain't going to say, you know, basically, you know, they do that little sign. I ain't going to say it because that's, that's wild. But, but basically those papers show that they were in full-fledged, full steam ahead, full-fledged, almost about to create these weapons. And the French and that the Italians were lying. And the ALOS officials, you know, made crazy amounts of notes trying to make sure that they got all the names. You know, one thing I was reading, too, when I was doing a little research on this, on this uh, kind of the story and this topic, was that some of the names of the, the scientists were in the bathroom. They found it in the bathroom, a list of some of these scientists in this random magazine that was in German. And it had, like, a list of all these, quote-unquote, honorable scientists doing honorable research for the... For the Nazis, so they started, you know, they started taking this down, and you know, all these names, and that's kind of wild that they found that on the on the pot. Like, imagine just being like, oh, hey, daily reading. Let me talk, you know, let's let's talk about concentration camps and all the scientists doing great things. So they took down a lot of these notes and, and, and the names of these these scientists. I'm gonna keep it a buck. I'm gonna keep it a hundred with y'all. The goal wasn't to bring these people to justice. The goal was to track down and capture and interrogate these scientists for their knowledge. Of, bio of biological weapons, nuclear weapons, any type of weapons that can be used uh, for the United States and not Russia. So then, as you know, as the war rages on, they start catching one by one across the across the Third Reich. A direct quote from Annie Jacobson in her book Operation Paperclip: The Secret Intelligence Program That Brought Nazi Scientists to America. Um, it was written in 2014. I just wanted to make sure I plugged that. So basically, Hitler's scientists, he, they were taken into custody and interrogate, interrogated. And basically, what they wanted to know was the extent of the carnage and the horrors in Europe that were created by that Nazi regime. And also, obviously, the, the, the weapon. But at the same time, 
a lot of Allied forces and the U.S., they wanted that knowledge. I'll read you a quote from the book. The scale of, of, on which science and engineering have been harnessed to chariot the destruction in Germany is indeed amazing. And that was from a British aviation ex- expert uh, with the Royal Aircraft Establishment. And it said, basically, he also said that there is a tremendous amount to be learnt. Learnt? Dang, from the South? No. Uh, there's a tremendous amount to be learnt in Germany at this present time. So that's kind of how it started, and they kind of, you know that's kind of the way that the origins of that, you know, Operation Paperclip. Well, on July 6th, 1945, Joint Chief Chief of Staffs issued an actual memorandum that was so explosive that it had never been shown, or it was never even shown to President Truman at the time. It was titled "Exploitation of German Specialists in Science and Technology in the United States," um, and it outlined a program for procurement, utilization, and control of these specialists. And, you know, basically, a plan to recruit Nazi scientists to do the bidding of the United States government and military military intelligence, which, you know, kind of ended up having a name called G2. And that was the department that was given control of these scientists. At this time, you know, as the the war kind of dies down and, 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 and the Allied forces win, the race between the Allied forces... And Soviet Union was starting to ramp up, and the Cold War, Cold War started to really show its head. That basically they came together to fight this monstrous foe, and then they realized that if we get their intelligence and their weapons and their technology, you know, we will be undefe- undefeated. We will be able to take over the world because you're getting basically all you know for this for this war. And so the arms race began to happen, and obviously we know what that's called. That's the Cold War at that time. And one thing about the program that, you know, trying to gain these, these this basically this arms race was kind of the moral part of that. Like, you know, you bring in these Nazi scientists who, who have, a, you know, we know for a fact they were experimenting on people, doing things to people, putting people in concentration camps doing heinous experiments on these people. That's kind of the moral side of that. Like, you know, as as Americans, we, you know, our people, our our country, our government did that. And that's such a thing nowadays where I hear, you know, I hear that phrase, you know, oh, you're a Nazi, you know, you're a, you know, that's kind of wild, you know, that we allowed that to go on, you know, and to keep it kind of, you know, moving with the, the history. So the, so the original name for the program was called Operation Overcast, but then it was later named... Operation Paperclip, and that's where Operation Paperclip began its birth. And so, before the, the Nazi scientists uh, were given permission to move to America, the Britain, the Britons, or the English, whatever I guess, whatever they want to be called, uh, requested access to the scientists to do some some rocket research of their own. You know, and one of the uh, Nazi weapons expert Arthur Rudolph um, basically said that they immediately formed a bond. The British weapons intelligence people and the Nazis, you know, had some type of like great friendship, and they, you know, basically got got each other drunk and and, and became friends. And so that doesn't, you know, really align with the official kind of narrative, like oh, we condemn them for their actions. Um, but that's also at the early stages because they wanted to overlook those crimes and and, and to kind of put away that quote-unquote ugly past. So we go back to Arthur Rudolph. 
this one's kind of uh, kind of wild. Um, so he was the operations director for Middlework Labor Camp, an expert in, G- in Germany's powerful V2 rocket system. He was flagged by American officials um, as a desirable asset. Uh, and he's also, you know, there's also like a picture of him with Von, uh, Warner Von Braun um, during the Saturn launch and also with, uh, with President Kennedy as well. But also, he but he started working in that camp in 1943, but it was liberated in 94 in, in uh, not 94 Jesus in 1990, uh, 1994. Gosh, that's another one in 1944. There was about 40,000 prisoners in that camp, and the Holocaust Museum, the United States Holocaust Museum, said when the liberators first got into that camp, the noise, dust, and noxious gases. Exacerbated the already catastrophic health situation for the prisoners, and you know water was in short supply. Only toilets were, you know, basically toilets were oil barrels cut in half. So they're sitting on, you know, metal basically. Um, cases like tuberculosis, typhoid, uh, pneumonia, and really total exa- exhaustion because they were working twelve hours a day with no sleep and, and barely any equipment. Um, he also, you know, there's a picture going that, you know, if you want to look this up, this is in the uh, basically NASA uh, archives, but it's Arthur Rudolph holding a U.S. Uh, United States uh, rocket. Um, it's in the, yeah, it's in NASA, so you can just research that if you want if you want to look that up. But actually, you know, it's kind of wild during his time there, twenty thousand. So he worked there a year, and twenty thousand people uh, died. Um, but he was granted entry into the country. Um, and the American officials in Germany, and they named him the Ardent Nazi. So basically, he overseen the slave labor, and was present when prisoners were executed. So this dude is a bad dude. He's a bad mofo. And one thing too that was was done was basically it was quietly erased from his official file. And he worked for NASA. And I'm not going to talk about his accomplishments in NASA. Basically, you know, you guys know, yeah, you know, he worked on multiple rockets. Um, he never, you know, he never mentioned anything about anything that was going on with what he was doing with his previous job, which is kind of wild. Um, and this is one thing too that's kind of crazy about this is OSI, OSI. Uh, which is the Office of Special Investigations, uh, interviewed multiple slave laborers from that camp he was in and approached Rudolph with an offer. Um, he wouldn't be so. This is the offer they gave them. He uh, wouldn't be charged if voluntarily left the United States and grew up and gave up his United States citizens. He and his wife moved back to Germany, um, and then in 1987 he was ruled uh, there was insufficient evidence to try him for war crimes. Um, he tried to regain his U.S. citizens, helped by some people from from NASA, but he died in 1996 um, at the age of 89. Um, the next guy I'm going to talk about, um, who Arthur uh, Rudolph worked with, was Warner von Braun. Um, he was another prized "quote unquote" recruit uh, for the U.S. government in in NASA. Um, like I said, he worked on Nazi the Nazis V two rocket, which basically you know, which was a huge weapon for them you know, against the Britons. Um, 
he was then transferred, and I'm not, and it's a, and he was transferred to a, a luxurious town in Bavaria uh, for questioning, basically when he was caught. Um, and there's a picture, like I said, um, Warner von Braun with the fellow Operation Paperclip scientists. Um, you can view that on NASA. You just, you know, type in his name, and you can see that there's basically all the Nazis um, in, you know, American, you know, basically NASA type of regalia, or, uh, not regalia, but kind of, you know, behind them and stuff like that. It's just a, a picture of it. So, at first, him, when he was first caught, he refused to cooperate with the Allies. Um, refusing to indulge any information, you know, he was basically, you know, he knew there basically was a foolproof bargaining chip. And so as the days of the war started coming to the end, he, you know, he had hidden, or while the war was still going on, he had hidden valuable documents that the, uh, that the U.S. wanted. And basically his bargaining chip was those documents and his knowledge of this, you know, technology that he had. Um, so that was kind of how he bargained his way into the U.S. with, you know, with Operation Paperclip. But after his capture, you know, like when he was yeah, being shipped over to the U.S., you know, he had posed for endless pictures with the individual GIs, which, you know, which beamed and shook his hand. Like, they really was like, thank you for coming, you know, thank you. And it's kind of wild because, you know, like I said, he was brought to in 1945, which is literally like a year after the war. And then so he worked for, you know, the U.S. Army, uh, the chief of the U.S. Army Ballistic Weapon Program. He oversaw Redstone, Jupiter-C, Juno, all these uh, perishing missile systems. Um, and then under his command, which is wild, this is wild, 120 forming, former Nazi scientists worked um, on all these programs that worked under his command. Even in 19, this is, golly, this is, like, so brutal. Like, I don't know how this is not being brought up, but, like, Braun even received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Dude, that's crazy. In 1977. You know, he was very beloved. And I I had was listening to a podcast called Tenfold Hat with Sam Tripoli. Um, and he was performing in Huntsville, Alabama, which is where NASA resides, and he made a, a Warner Von Braun joke, and boy, they booed him out of the room. He was like, so, like, they y'all really rocking with this guy like this? Even though he's been doing all this wild stuff and, and and you know, basically running the Nazi program 2.0 in America. And Braun, even later on in his life, acknowledged that he had been a member of the Nazi party, but claimed that he never was a true believer and had no choice. He insisted that research, not politics, was his passion. As you go back into his files, they they gave some whitewashed version of his history. He was basically, you know, as as people had been coming out, he was a member, you know, of the SS, which is, you know, Hitler's, you know, basically Hitler's right hand, you know, his army, basically. It's one thing that he, you know, he visited multiple concentration camps, personally selected workers to become slave laborers in his V2 rocket program. And his SS officer rank and Nazi record were classified by the U.S. Army. For years until his death, he was uh, he was uh, you know able to evade justice. He actually died um, in Alexandria, uh, Virginia, and basically President Carter at the time to million. And this is his quote of Warner von Braun, a Nazi: "To millions of Americans, Warner von Braun's name." 
was linked to our exploration of state of, of space and to creative application of technology. Not just the people of our nation, but people all over the world who profited from his work. Wild. That's so crazy. So that's what, so this, so that's kind of you know some a few examples of you know there's a lot, plenty of more there's um, there's a document that came out and I cannot uh, it might have been the neighbor next door um, there was a documentary but what one thing too that, that when they did those uh, like those special uh, those war crimes courts for the UN and all these different you know global type of organizations who were trying to find these you know these Nazis guilty. There was a guy in this, and I cannot remember the name of his, the name of his documentary, his name. But in, he's lived in Minnesota. He had changed his name. He had done all these things to make sure he he even had it. He even changed his accent, and you know his family knew he had a German accent, and that he said he was from Germany, but he wasn't from. He was from you know he was from Germany, Germany. He was a Nazi. And basically, he lived his whole life here after the war, and he had a family. You know, multiple kids, um, and come to find out, people. You know, there was a Holocaust survivor living in the same town that he was in, and recognized it because of his eyes. He had those. He had these really light blue eyes, and this, and recognized him, and immediately like came over with fear, and so they ended up, you know, trying to kind of delve who this guy was, and. Come to find out, he was one of the like the main. Of, I cannot if it wasn't Auschwitz, um, it might have been. I can't think of the other one, but um, but one of those main that you hear on TV all the time that he was basically one of the people that didn't select him, but he was the one that forced him and, and drugged them to the gas chambers or the experiment table. Um, basically, he was a he was a, a muscle of, for you know forcing people to do these things and. The crazy thing about him is that, like, when he was going through his courts, because he was going through immigration, basically, because he had forged all his documents and all this stuff, and come, and they ended up finding out that, like, basically, he was actually, they called him the, the, the butcher of, and I cannot, he was called the butcher, basically, of, of that concentration camp. And I, I apologize to you guys that I'm butchering, literally butchering that, that up, because I cannot for the life of me remember that name. Um, if you guys in in the comments remember that documentary, or if you know if it's also, if you hear this on YouTube, or you know, or shoot me a DM um, if you if you know that documentary, and and maybe I can make a correction on the next podcast. But it, but basically, he you know, he was this guy. He was healthy. He had nothing wrong with him. And then when the court, you know, the court started, you know, he started going to trial, and honestly, he's like, like they really meant a dang. Uh, uh, Basically, one of those like bedside, you know, hospice table or uh, chairs, and that he was at the end of his life, and that they needed to spare his life. Well, Nazis back in the UN in the tribunals, like when they were doing these, um, you know, the trials for these Nazis, Nazis were known to be able to be fainting out, like, "Oh God, I'm, I'm sick, I'm weak," and they would they would do full on acting jobs. To make to give to get lesser sentences, and then they'd be shipped off, and they'd serve their, you know, sentence or whatever it is, and they'd be free to do whatever. Well, that's what he was doing, and then they, they uh, somebody who was a, a private investigator was following him, 
and taking pictures of him as he was in the grocery store carrying 60 pounds, dog food bags, um, carrying in multiple groceries, walking just fine. I think they even had him like jogging down the road, like running, like you know, working out, jogging down the road. But like I said, I can't remember the name of that documentary. Go check that out. I would just type in, you know, something of, you know, some type of documentary. But, but uh, to me, I, you know, I was really sitting back, and I had been wanting to talk about this for a while, and I had sat back and watched that that show, and it just really got me thinking of like, you know, what what else do they do they let happen, you know? And I say they, you know, in a pretty like kind of like, huh. You know, they as in, you know. And that's one thing that's so baffling to me that, that, that people can get away with this stuff. And, they, and it's blatant. It's right in front of your eyes. You know, like with Warner, Warner, uh, with Warner uh, Braun Braun. You know, he was celebrated. I remember, you know, I remember being in middle school and elementary school and they were talking about how he was the one that saved America from the, from the Red Curtain. And to me, I look back as somebody who's, you know, in their late 20s, and I'm just like, man, that's wild. This dude was doing all types of crazy stuff to, to, you know, different types of people, you know. All the tribes over there, the Germanic tribes that were there, you know, the Jews, you know, the gypsies, everybody. You know, people that wasn't them, they was just, they was taking care of them. But man, that's just you know, I, I just had really been been wanting to talk about that for a while because I just don't think that nobody talks about it very much, or they don't mention it in in mainstream news, or you know, even news that you know that that maybe people call it alt news or you know even social media news. Um, but this is this is Operation Paperclip, and I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this episode. It's you know I tried to get as much as I can. There's really a lot of information. Um, I would suggest go reading uh, Annie, Jacobson, J- Annie Jacobson's book, uh, Operation Paperclip. Um, her last name is spelled J- J-A-C-O-B-S-E-N, not S-O-N-S-E-N. Um, she actually has a few interviews, too, as well, that she does with people. You know, and she has another book that, you know, that talks about you know, CIA um, type of stuff. But she's, she's a really good author and a really good investigative journalist. And I, I, su- I highly suggest you read the book. I've read the book. Um, now I say read, but I listened to an audiobook um, of of that book, and, and and it goes into a lot of detail that you know I you know, obviously I can't get into in a thirty minute podcast. Um, but go check that book out, guys. If you got any, guys have any you know questions or you know if you want you know shoot me a message of what you thought and more information about this, shoot me a DM um, on Facebook or TikTok um, or even in the YouTube comments. Um, on Facebook, it's Yehola Tiger. Um, you said shoot me a message, and then on TikTok, it's One Man Band Nine One Eight. And then YouTube, like I said, hit those comments, guys. I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. You know, helping break over the three hundred listen mark, and that that was pretty pretty special to me. You know, thinking people want to talk. You know, hear, hear me talk about stuff and mess up names and all that stuff. But um, I appreciate you guys, and I'll catch you on the next one.